So hey guys, we are back for the another podcast interview, and, and I, I think you're going to love this. I always say that every single time, like, I, I think you guys are going to love this one, and I'm hoping you do. I'm hoping somebody's not sitting in the car at the house saying, no, I hate this one. But uh, uh, I love doing these for you guys, and I love bringing them, and we've got so many podcasts and interviews booked into the middle of 2022. Today you're going to love this one. This is a, a gentleman that I saw at uh, a TTR event, which is Tombstone Territory Rendezvous, in, uh, in Tombstone. And uh, he was next to a good friend of mine, Roy B. Young. And he's written a book, uh, Gerald D. Schaefer, uh, has written a book, From Gunsmoke to Granite, Tombstones of Gunfighters, Outlaw, and Lawmen. And uh, it's a great book. We're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about him. And we're going to talk about how he put it all together because it's in a really cool format that I think you guys are going to love. But of course, I also want to reach out and thanks the folks over at the WWHA. I'm a member. I know that uh, Gerald, actually, he goes by Doc Shores. I know that Doc is a member. But, you know, we've been talking a lot about the WWHA and where can I get factual history? Where can I get deep researched, you know, no fluff, you know, no fake pictures off of photo sharing apps or, or, or history that has been passed down uh, through friend to friend to friend and it always gets changed up. Where can you get factual history? Well, you can do that at the Wild West History Association or wildwesthistory.org. Um, I'm a member. Now, some people have said, you know what, Mike, it's kind of pricey. Well, it really isn't. It's 75 for one year, two years for 125, or three years for 175. And what I love about the journal is that the, you get a journal, you get a quarterly, and it's basically a book, really is what it is. It's a history book that shows up at your door. And, it, you know, when you, when you put all the costs together, it's like 20 bucks a book, which is very reasonable for a book, especially one with high gloss paper, wonderful photos on the inside, articles, interviews, you know, there's no ads, there's no makeup ads, there's no car ads. It is just factual history and it's all packed into the journal. And then on top of that, you get, um, uh, the website, you get the, the sandbag has got all sorts of information and, um, and then we have a thing coming up in, in July, which is going to be the roundup, and it's going to be up in Deadwood. You know, if you join, you get to come to, you get to join, you get to come to Deadwood. And even if you're not, like, th that's part of it. For me, it's, it's, it's mingling with and getting to know the history writers, and I let them know, look, I'm with WWHA, and then it just opens up all sorts of doors. And I'm just a guy that does podcasts. So if you can, check them out at wildwesthistory.org. Now, now, you're a member, right, Doc? I think you're a board member. That's correct. I've been a member uh, probably at least uh, 10 years, 12 years. Uh, it's probably the most uh, fantastic thing that I've done as far as having an interest in the early West. Uh, it's just a top-grade organization. Well, there you go. If Doc says it, it's got to be true. Also... I always want to thank my friend Mark Boardman over at the Tombstone Epitaph. Now, that's Arizona's longest-running newspaper, and it's it's not made in Tombstone. It's not printed in Tombstone, but they still have the Epitaph, and you can go down for free. You can go down and see the Epitaph building and see how they made newspapers in the 1800s, and they got a cool gift shop. And if you want to become a subscriber, you can do it right there. But if you want to do it from home, I urge you to do so. 
It's really easy to do, and that is go to www.tombstoneepitaph.com. And the Tombstone Epitaph is a real newspaper. And that, I love that. Like no Kindle, no, you know, thing riding, reading off your iPhone or off a tablet or a computer. It's a real newspaper, and it's like holding history. It's like, it's like you're standing in, in uh, Tombstone in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and you're holding the epitaph right when it comes off the presses. Now, how cool is that to own history and touch it every day? Well, you can do that if you uh, become a subscriber to the Tombstone Epitaph. And one year is 25, two years 45, and three years is 60 bucks. If you do the $60 one, it saves you $15. And who, who doesn't like saving money? So again, uh, I urge you guys to check out the tombstoneepitaph.com. Uh, or check it out and then subscribe to it. And uh, and the folks over at the Epitaph, they'll make sure that you get the uh, the newspaper delivered right to your door. Now, I did talk to, to Doc when I was at TTR, and I mentioned TTR before, that it is a, it's a historical event in Tombstone that is held in Shiflin Hall. And... Um, and we do all sorts of cool tours. And we this last year in 2021, we went to Tubac, and we went out to the Tubac uh, Historical Society. They had the 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 mission is all redone, and I probably got that wrong, but the mission's all redone, and just tons of history out in southern Arizona, uh, down south of uh, of Tucson. And um, I, I met Doc, and he was standing there. Actually, he was sitting there. Next to my 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 friend Roy B. Young, and Roy is a phenomenal historian and researcher and writer. Uh, we've had him here on the podcast, so if you want to know about Roy, look through the podcast, and you'll find his interview. And so Doc had this book sitting out, and I was intrigued by it because it says again, "From Gunsmoke to Granite: Tombstones of Gunfighters, Outlaws, and Lawmen." And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, Gunsmoke. And and so I opened up the book. And the book is is crazy. It is the way it's done. I have the hardcover now. The hardcover is going to be a little bit more expensive than the soft cover, but that's okay. Now, if you want to know, as we're talking, and you're like, "Oh my God, I got to get this book," go on uh, Doc Shore's email. He actually he does everything by email. Don't call him up. Uh, he sells direct by himself. He doesn't go through a publisher, so it's the best is to go right to the to the guy himself. And you can you can do so by going to Doc Shores, and that's D-O-C-S-H-O-R-E-S, Doc Shores at Outlook.com. And you can contact him there and purchase the book, and he'll rush it right out to your door. Now, when the when the I got to looking at the book, I'm going to describe it a little bit because it's in a hardcover. And that is on the left side of the book. So when you open it up, the left side is a, usually a black and white photo. I don't think there's any color photos. A black and white photo of the person. Then he gives the name. He gives the how long they've been alive, their birth date, their death date. A whole half page, sometimes a quarter page of history about that person. And then to the right, just on the next page, is the picture of the person's grave, where the person's buried. So if you want to go see him yourself. And then he also gives a little book, like he'll say suggested reading, or he'll say, uh, uh, hey, uh, I urge you to research this, it's under suggested reading. And he gives you books and things to research more about that person. And that's what makes the book so interesting. And I know there's others out there, but but 
you know, in a color format and the pages are beautiful. Like it's a real thick paper and I love hardback books and it's just a great deal and there's so much. And now you, and what's cool about it is you can carry it when you're doing your own research and you can go out to these places and you can say, well, Doc sent me here. And I'm like, and then you can read about it and do your own research. And that's the fun of Western history is doing your own research. So welcome, Doc. How are you? I'm just doing great, Mike, and let me uh, thank you for the great work that you are doing. Oh, this is just for fun. I I like hearing the stories, um, and I like hearing about people, and so I think that makes it great. When when you were thinking about the book, or actually go through the process that you said to yourself, you know, Doc, hmm, I want to do this book, and how did you end up getting Roy B. Young involved? Well, first of all, I met Roy uh, when I joined WWHA, and Joy, uh, Roy was kind of um, a mentor to me. And at the time, I was I had published <clears throat> books of cowboy poetry that was very unique in that they described historically events uh, in rhyme, and uh, so Roy was willing to sell some of my books. Uh, on his stand because I, I'm, I, I didn't have enough for, to utilize the table. So Roy was kind enough to just say, I have some space here and you're certainly welcome, uh, to use my space. So Roy and I became very close over a period of years. And, um, so I had, let me just say that probably 20 years ago or more when I started looking for the tombstones, uh, I did it as a hobby. I had no intentions of publishing a book. And um, over the period of 20 years, the collection got bigger and bigger, and it got even further expanded to include mountain men and Indian leaders and cavalry officers, as well as lots of outlaws and lawmen. And Roy was aware that this what existed what i did was i would take my photos from uh the tombstones and i would have them enlarged into an eight by ten and i would put them in my own albums and and then research and put a little bio on the individual and then to the extent that was possible i would purchase the um portrait photo of the individual as well and put it on the other side of the album. So I had many albums in each one of those categories that I had mentioned. And Roy was aware of this. And Roy, for the last two years, had been, I wouldn't say pestering me, but he was encouraging me with a lot of effort to, he said that he felt that the book deserves to be out there uh, for early West fans um, and anybody that might be interested in the future in the early West to help preserve our early West heritage. So Roy was kind of instrumental in pushing me, if you will, into publishing this book. And then he also then played a role in help proofreading uh, as well before it got published. And so as an honor, I asked him to do the forward and he was more than gracious to do the forward as well and he just did an outstanding job of uh outlining the book wow that's cool so you had all this stuff together 
And you told me when I when you and I spoke and I was going through it that you physically have been to every single grave that's in the book. Now, if you're wondering about the book itself and how many pages is it, it is 213 pages. So that's yeah, 200. Yeah, there's 100, 100 of the, what I had, I would define uh-huh. as the top outlaws, gunfighters, and lawmen. Uh, and that uh, covers those pages. Well, and I wanted people to know, like, it's not a small book. It's 213 pages. And he's accumulated a ton of history on here. And 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 the one thing, and people ask me all the time, and, and I don't know about you, they'll ask me, you know, why do you go to so many cemeteries? And I go to a lot of them. And I'll say, well, that's the one thing that didn't change in history. Like, the some buildings get torn down. Towns are completely uprooted and repurposed in other locations in the 1800s. Like, people all the time will say, uh, well, I can't find that town. Or why is that town gone? Well, it, it either washed away, burned down, or it was torn down and repurposed someplace else. And cemeteries stay the same. They might, you know, they'll age in time, or people will become volunteers. Like my friend Joanne Rummel, she maintains the cemetery, Pioneer Cemetery in uh, Cortland. And so you traveled to every single one of these locations that you wrote about. Yeah, just about every one. And I agree with you as well. To me, um, every community, the history of that community is in their cemetery. Uh, Their founders, uh, their riffraff or whatever you have. Uh, all, uh, but it's there in their cemetery. So that's where the history of that community is. And every community has that history. And that's the beauty of it, uh, you know, for someone that wants to even get, uh, more knowledge about a certain community that, you know, that's one of the places that you would end up going because that's where the city fathers would be or that's where the founders would be. In your research, I'm going to sneeze here in a minute, I think. In your research, was there one that stood out that you really thought, or it was the one that stood out that was really hard to find? Like, this is not an easy one to locate. Because I've been, I actually bring my wife now because it takes a long time to locate, especially when all the directions or a GPS coordinates in there and you're walking around a cemetery for hours. Was there one that took you a really long time and you had to make multiple trips or that was really difficult to locate? Well, there's a couple of things there. One is, I agree with you, um, of course, the larger cemeteries, it's a lot more easier because you can obtain uh, a map that will show you the approximate location. But even at that, uh, uh, you wonder sometimes where the headstone is, where the tombstone is. Because you got a map in your hand, and, it, and it's supposed to be here, but it, it, it's not. So you just have to look a little harder. But there are a lot of cemeteries where they don't have any staff or office or anything. In those, you have to physically get out and go up and down the rows to try and locate a particular tombstone. Um, but the hardest one that I think uh, that I had to uh, endure was Bell Star. 
And it's Bellstar was in just outside of Porham, Oklahoma, and it, she's all by herself. And she was in a kind of a triangular piece of property that had no trail or very little trail. And the woods, the trees had a lot of these um, spike uh, needles on them. And you could not see the tombstone from any direction. So you're, I went up a dirt road, ended up going to a house and asked them, uh, for some direction, and all they could do is point to maybe where the trail was. And so I fought my way through these uh, trees, these stickers, found the tombstone, and it was in a disgraceful condition. Um, the, the, head, the headstone had been knocked over. Um, there was garbage all around. The fence was uh, had been broken down and when i got back to the car my wife was concerned because i had those stickers had scratched me all over my arms and i had of course a little blood coming out of my, <laughs> out of my arms they didn't penetrate or anything just it, just the scratches right so to me that was probably one of the toughest ones that i dealt with and i even wrote a couple of letters to city fathers in Porham and also to the county supervision. And I told them how disgraceful they allowed that um, uh, that tombstone to get the condition it got into, considering she's probably one of the most famous uh, women uh, outlaws that there was. Mm -hmm. But I'm looking at the photo of it. And if you guys hear like paper rustling, it's because I'm, I'm turning the pages in the book because I want to see what he's talking about. The headstone looks to be upright. So did you move the headstone back into its original position? No, sir. It was leaning up against um, a, uh, a casket, a concrete-type casket. Hmm. Now, the fellow that bought the property, by the way, is in the, is in the process of restoring it and uh, making it more into a tourist uh, center where people can go in and view the view the tombstone and he's even considered talking about rebuilding the house that bell star lived in wow so you you get all this information together you're researching bell star you're tromping around out in the bushes out in the trees did you get any of the of the one did you get all of them or were some of them that you wanted to write about, like, I can't find this one and everything is pointing me in the wrong direction and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this one on the back burner in case I do a book number two? Were there any of them that you couldn't find? Uh, no, sir. Only wow. because um, I had my goal and I, my wife was determined she wouldn't let me give up. There were certain roads and times that we were looking for a tombstone and I just simply said, well, I... I don't think it's for any further than this. I'm turning it around. And she'd say, no, no, you've got to keep going. And so she she would tell me I needed to continue, especially not necessarily the outlaws and lawmen side of it, but some of the Indian leaders and some of the mountain men um, that I was also photographing. And I might add that during all these 20 years of getting these starting off to get these tombstones, which was very specific at the time, got so expanded that I was stopping at uh, battlefields. Uh, I was stopping and getting photos of battlefields. I was getting uh, 
photos of military forts from Lewis and Clark to the 1890s, and I have over 110 uh, photos of military forts during that time period, everything from a pile of rocks to some real nice reproductions. And so my not only was I getting tombstones, but I was getting the whole scope of the early West history, buildings, battle sites, um, and forts and everything else to go along with the history of outlaws and lawmen. Well, if folks are liking this story and you're thinking again, where do I get this book? It's really easy. I want you to get it. Um, and I want you to save it and take it with you on your journey uh, or wherever journey you can go to. And you can do so by contacting Doc at Doc Shores, D-O-C-S-H-O-R-E-S, DocShores at Outlook.com. That's the best way to get a hold of him, and he'll get right back to you, and, and he'll work out shipping and getting that book right into your hands, whether you want a hardback or a softback. But he's the one to contact. You can't find it in the store, so don't go, oh, I'm going to look at Amazon. won't be there. Um, you had, you had all these pictures and grave sites and stuff Were some of them, did they, every single one make it into the book or do you have some that, you know, the book just can't be 300 pages long. I'm going to have to bury some of them. I hit a, sorry for pun intended, but bury them away at the house and say, you know what, maybe a part two. Yeah, in fact, uh, it's interesting that you had mentioned that. Like I said before, uh, I picked what I felt was the top 100, but I have probably enough. Uh, and and what I where I divide the um, the decision is to whether I have lots of photos of tombstones, but I don't have the uh, portrait photos of. A lot of them. So I probably have enough for another book. And Roy Young has uh, has been jokingly um, saying that he's getting, you know, he's ready for number two, volume number two. But I, I was kind of throwing a little cold water on that. Um, but the main reason would be if I I could I wouldn't select a particular tombstone um, if I didn't have the portrait photo. So I would go to a lot more effort to try and purchase a portrait photo first before I would select that individual to go into the book. But to answer your question, yes, I probably have more than enough for another volume. Well, we want part two. I don't care what you say. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, Besides having the most difficult one to locate, was there one or two that were super easy to locate? Like, like, um, you know, when I got to Wyatt Earp up in Colma, I stepped out of my truck and, uh, it's so funny, but there was a, there was a guy, a worker there, one of the, the cemetery groundsmen. He looked right at me and goes, you're looking for Wyatt Earp. Like how, how do I, I, I I'm in, I'm in my work shirt. I'm, I'm, you know, nothing says, you know, Wyatt Earp. I, I could be anybody. And he goes, yeah, you're looking for Wyatt Earp. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm looking. And he pointed me right to the direction, and there it was. Like, I didn't even have to work for it. Did you have any that, that were that easy, where you didn't even have yeah. to work for it? Yeah, Mike, there was, you know, quite a few of those that you could see when I pulled up. Like, as I would mentioned, um, in some of these larger cemeteries, they give you a map. 
<clears throat> and show you the location, the approximate location, why the tombstone's there. So there was times when you pull up, then you could spot it right away. The wife and I always had a competition as to uh, the first one to spot the tombstone uh, would get a, uh, a dinner, steak dinner. So um, she was on the lookout as well. So I would cover one side of the vehicle and she would cover the other side. But together we quickly would spot it. And probably the funniest, easiest one was Black Jack Ketchum. And I had the map, <clears throat> or I did not have a map, but the, I had some idea from talking to the historical society there where the tombstone was. Well, I pull, there's a road that goes in and then there's a road comes out parallel. And so there's this grassy area in between. And so I, I pulled up in the middle of the road and I looked around, couldn't see it. So I called the phone number that I had. And, um, and of course, as it turns out, when I looked out my left window, the tombstone was right beside my, <laughs> right beside my truck. Mm. Um, because it was in between these two uh, roadways. That kind of feel that way. Have you been to Henry Hooker? The Hooker Ranch? I uh, have not. He's buried in Hollywood, right in the center of Hollywood, California. And same thing, I was I was looking for Henry Hooker because if you remember the movie Tombstone, the Sierra Bonita Ranch, and, you know, he was friends with Wyatt Earp. And I pulled into this tombstone, or this huge, not tombstone, but, like, cemetery. And there's very famous people buried in the cemetery, like Judy Carland is buried there. Mickey Rooney is buried there. Um, there is very famous people buried and entombed in this tombstone. Or, I mean, in the cemetery. And and there ends up being the Hooker family. And it was a huge, it was huge. It was like 10 feet long by like three or four feet tall. And it was a huge sign that said Hooker right on the front. And I'm like, I, well, that was easy. Like, thank you. And um, it was, it still made it fun, but it was very easy. And it was right outside my car window. Yep. Yeah. Some of those are like that. Uh, it, um, I, I agree. Uh, in that, I found the same. Some of those tombstones were pretty good size, and so they were hard uh, not to see. I had my daughter and, and grandchildren, my twin granddaughters were in Los Angeles, in Long Beach, California. So the first group of photos that I got over a period of several years was in, in that uh, Los Angeles area. So many of those um cemeteries that you may mention uh, I had went to and got some headstones tombstones of um, some of the characters I was, uh, was looking for like Johnny Seringo and some of the others crazy it's weird how the cemeteries are in the weirdest places and or they're like behind you know office buildings or they're wherever and it's it's crazy where they end up because, you know, back in the day when they started them in the 1800s, those areas were way out in the Tules. They were way out, a long ways away from town sometimes. And as the towns build up, all of a sudden they become right in the center of town. But because it's a historical significance, they never get moved. You know, or they rarely get moved. Right. It's like Colma, California. Right. You know, they moved everything out of San Francisco. They moved over to Colma. Right. Was... When you got the photos together and you started looking in and you started researching each individual person, 
Was there somebody that in your research that you found most surprising about, like Bell Star, or was there something where you were like, wow, that I never saw that coming? No, I, um, in a lot of the, when I was putting together these brief bios, which, as you mentioned, they're not very long, they're only around five, I was limited to about 500 words, but there has been so much great research done by so many great authors that I did not want to get involved into recreating new research. So there wasn't really anything mm-hmm. new that I would have come across. I was simply trying to recap and concise information that others had already done, works that others had done. It was never my intention. And again, let me just suggest that this was for my own purposes. Uh, I had no intentions of publishing this book. So, you know, I didn't probably, you know, I needed to, uh, I didn't need to give it as much emphasis uh, because it was for myself. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, so when I put the book together, I had to work real hard into uh, trying to consent, condense those uh, down to five around 500 words, wow. which makes it a little difficult to do. And when a person's life is full of a lot of energy and as a lot of uh, t- things that they accomplished and uh, some of the gunfights and confrontations that they were involved in, you know, to try to put that all down, their life story in 500 words is a kind of a challenge. I know, I know that we spoke in a pre-interview, and I said, we weren't going to talk about family, and I'm not going to talk about that. But I am going to ask you about you a little bit. Like, sure. how did, how did, what did you do for a living? Because you're, you're retired now. Um, what did you do for a living? And, and what did, how did you become interested in Western history? Like, was there something, a catalyst or a movie or a book where, because you, you became Doc Shores, and but you're still Gerald. You're involved with the WWHA. You've been in the W. You're a board member of the WWHA. How? What did you do for a living in your working days? And how did you end up becoming interested in Wild West history? Yeah, and I appreciate that. It um, is. It's, I'm a late bloomer for one thing, and it, and my life history. It is kind of, uh, I wouldn't say complicated, but uh, it followed a lot of different paths. I had gotten out of the service in 1964, and I went and graduated from a, a aeronautical design drafting school, and I immediately went to work for the Boeing Aircraft Company on the 737 project, and I worked there for five years when Boeing laid off 70,000 people, and I, of course, was one of those 70,000. So I went uh, and was able to find work because I had a retail clerk's license as well. I went to work for a, a grocery chain. And in the meantime, I started to go to college, and I graduated with an associate of arts degree in law enforcement. And so while I was getting my degree in law enforcement, I joined the Seattle Police Reserves. And I was very active in that for a period of seven years. 
And when I graduated from the uh, junior college, I transferred to the University of Washington with the intent to get continue my law enforcement uh, interest, and they had nothing to offer. So I ended up choosing forest management. So I graduated with a bachelor science in forest management while I still continued to uh, serve the Seattle Police Department. And then I got transferred then to, uh, I got a job uh, with a forest products company in the community I now live. And so I, I terminated my work with the Seattle Police Department and so for the next 20 years, I was a tax manager for a forest products company. I was responsible for issues of valuation and taxation on two pulp mills and a paper company and a Vanland plant and a whole bunch of, uh, and 200,000 acres of land. So I was very busy. And while I was with the forest products company, then I got my master's in business uh, in 1988. And I then was laid off from there because all of the mills were torn down. And so there wasn't any more reason for a tax manager to deal with valuation on facilities that no longer existed. And so I went to work um, for a wood waste grinding company. And it was there on a business trip to Breckenridge. On the return trip home, we stopped at Glenwood Springs. And uh, I had read an article on Doc Holiday, and so at Glenwood Springs we stopped, and I we walked up to the top of the hill, and I took photos of Doc Holiday, and I caught the fever. And so it wasn't shortly after that that I joined uh, Single Action Shooting Society SAS. And when you uh, when you participate in SAS. You're required to dress, period dress, and you're required to take an alias. So I chose Cyrus Wells Shores, Doc Shores. I chose that name because he was a U.S. Deputy Marshal out of Gunnison, Colorado, and I wanted to represent a real person in history. So I chose that name. And then I began to start to live that, if you will. Some, you know, that's, that's kind of a stretch. But I, um, I, I researched Dark Shores, and I gave talks about Dark Shores, and I, um, and that's my competition was in as Dark Shores. And every year, I would go to the national and world competitions uh, in SAS and compete. Um, and that's where my family was in Long Beach, California. So SAS was not far from there as far as the national competition. And so that then gave me an opportunity to go out and get the tombstones, as I had mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't uh, shortly after, a few years after that, that I attended my first NOLA WOLA joint roundup in Sacramento, California, where I met some of these uh now WWHA authors and individuals, and got even further bitten, if you will, um, with uh, hanging around with those that had the same similar interest in Wild West history. So as you can tell in terms of this um, dialogue here, that it was, that it was a late bloomer uh, that I got interested. And um, at uh, one of the WWHA gatherings, 
I purchased a book, um, and it kind of helped give called Violence Was No Stranger by James Browning. And it, it was kind of a guide to different individuals, uh, to mountain men, Indian leaders, cavalry officers, a lot of outlaws and lawmen. It was kind of a brief, a, de- a description of where the cemeteries were located hmm. and how to get there. And so I used that as a guide to help in my pursuit of these tombstones. Hmm. So every year after that, the wife and I would just, about September, we would plan road trips and then we would zigzag across uh, the United States and specifically to locate headstones the tombstones and um and and that was part of our vacation for many years and gave us an opportunity to really uh, see, get a wide right. interest in the early west hmm. so you were doing all this what did the kids think did the kids do you have kids yeah but our families were our families oh. were all grown up uh, but do uh, they like look, i say I was, this do was they look a late at bloomer or? But, I mean, do they look at Dad or Grandpa and go, he's nuts? Uh, You know, it's kind of interesting you ask that because our twin granddaughters at times, they had gone with me to the cemeteries, and I'd open up the tailgate, and they would sit up on my toolbox, and we'd have lunch in the the, uh, tailgate or have lunch in the cemetery at Roswell's, one of the examples, Roswell, and um new mexico and we'd sit there and it would be a quiet time to go Mm -hmm. have lunch and they would go and help find the tombstone and so they'd get a dollar whoever was the first one to find the tombstone and they'd be running around (laughs) running around the cemetery as well so they they enjoyed it it was like going out on a picnic well that makes it fun that sounds cool when yeah, um, and the I'm sorry, during the times of SAS, by the way, I mm-hmm. might mention Mike that during the times of SAS, there was a couple of years there where my two granddaughters, uh, they were thirteen, and they uh, also became shooters as well. And I had bought them sets of thirty-eight pistols to wear, as well as they were using uh, the rifles, and um, they got to be fairly efficient at uh, competing as well in their category. And then the daughter would keep score and my wife would keep score. For several years there, we had the whole family involved in SAS, and it was really a great time. Wow. That sounds like you guys are enjoying it still. Yeah, well, I haven't uh, really done much with SAS for the last few years. I've been more involved in WWHA now, and that's where my interest is. I think it's the greatest organization there is to support and research Wild West characters, and they continue to put out new, new product, new facts all the time. Can I ask you about, and that's what's crazy, is that you and I agree on that, um, and the whole time you're reading and, or talking, I was looking at your book, like, this book is so great. I wanted to ask you about the cover. Can I ask you about the cover? Yes, sir. The cover is of the book is of the Yuma Territorial Prison Cemetery in Yuma, Arizona. Why did you pick that cemetery as the cover? Because there's no crucifix there's no fencing it's just piles of rocks where bodies are at 
and it is simple as can be and plain. It looks to be maintained, but there's no markings of any kind. Why did you choose that one for the cover of your book instead of some of the other ones? Because it says to me, besides the tombstone, it says that uh, the, the death of these um, gunfighters and these outlaws and lawmen who died by the gun, by uh, it, it was it's so final that it, it's it's cold. It's a cold. Um, I want it to to look dark and cold. And the fact mm-hmm. that the, there's the those piles of rock are nameless for those individuals. And there's no flowers to have family uh, share some time with them, or no no crosses, or no headstones, or no anything. It just looked to me to be final and cold. And I wanted to represent that uh, in the title, Gunsmoke to Granite. And the reason the reason I asked you about the the book cover is because that's going to be on the picture of the podcast. And so I wanted, in case somebody looked at it and went, what is that? Or why is that pick? I wanted them to understand about the photo that they're going to see on the podcast. Um, it's yeah, a- and I would submit that there's probably no other cemetery anywhere that is representative of that cold darkness. I've been to other, uh, I've been, like I say, I've taken uh, photos of a whole bunch of territorial prisons around the country. Um, it's one of my stops, and I've been to their cemeteries, and they're 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 they have the headstones, they have the person's name, family members have dropped off uh, flowers and mementos and things. But to my knowledge, this one at Yuma Prison um, is only one of a, of a type. Well, it's definitely the one of the type because most of the prison or prisons, most of the uh, cemeteries that I go to, they're actually, they're quite lovely. I mean, Fairbank Cemetery in Fairbank is, is just falling apart. Um, there's almost nothing left. Contention, the cemetery for contention, same thing, almost nothing left. Um, I just recently been doing some exploring in the White Hills area um near between kingman and, and hoover dam and there's a cemetery out in the middle of nowhere that i finally i actually used google earth and sometimes locating cemeteries have you used google earth at all no sir i have not i'm not very good at the uh using high-tech stuff well, everything i do is pretty much by the phone and talking to an individual well that's okay because a lot gets done that way so it's it's I think, you know, when you use all the tools to your benefit, whatever the results are, it's still to your benefit. So congrats on that. Your book um, is self-published, correct? That's correct. Tell us real quick about self-publishing. Was there problems with self-publishing the book and putting everything out in your dollar? or your? Was there any problems with the publishing aspect of it? No, sir, and I'd had experience of they had published four of my books of cowboy poetry. And so over a period of probably five, six years uh, dealing with the same publisher on my books of cowboy poetry kind of sharpened what I needed to do in order to make this production, this book, uh, as the best I could possibly make it. Well, if anybody's interested in the book, 
Uh, again, it's called From Gunsmoke to Granite, Tombstones of Outfighters, Lawmen, and, and or Outlaws and Lawmen by Gerald D. Schaefer and forward by Roy B. Young. You can get the book in a hardback or a softback still. The softback is available? Yes, sir. And uh, you can do so by contacting uh, Doc at docshores at outlook.com. That's docshores at outlook.com. Lastly, we got a little bit of time left. When you went to the cemeteries, a lot of the gravestones were tipped over, I'm sure. Like we had talked about with Bellstar. It was tipped over or leaning against something. Do you ever move them back and put them in a... Because there is some pages on social media of people out there are starting to realize that these graves and cemeteries, they're falling apart. And they're starting to rebuild them or they're going out and cleaning them and getting the moss, you know, off and the, and the weather off of these headstones. Um, when you made your travels, did you do any of that or did you leave it exactly the way you found it? Yeah, I, I, I respected the, the uh, tombstone and I didn't uh, touch it um, to the extent that I didn't find that many that were damaged. And I did see some tombstones that had been um, repaired already and, and upright again, but I did find some that were laying next to the broken piece. And I, I'm hoping that, um, that the cemetery would take care of that. Um, but no, I, I pretty much left respected what, what was there. I didn't, uh, I didn't get involved in trying to clean it. And you're right. Uh, many of those, um, Tombstones are very difficult to read. Um, they, they they carved into the stone, and it's the same color as the tombstone itself. Mm-hmm. And over a period of years, um, it got weathered, and it's very difficult to read. Right. Um, but it was the marker for that individual, clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of social media going on where they're really becoming aware that these graves and these gravestones and headstones and grave markers, you know, they need to be repaired and reset, reset, repaired, because they're fading away and they're going to be lost in time. So a book like yours, you know, somebody might come back 20 years from now, the headstone is gone, but they have your book and they have the ability to look at it and see what it looked like during that time. And some of them have changed the tombstone. Doc Holliday is one example. Yes. There was a date, a problem with the date. So I have both photos. I have the photo, as I mentioned, it was the first one that got me the fever. But then I found out that the, that they replaced it. So I went back and and got the uh, the newer uh, tombstone. Also, uh, a Warren um, Earp. They changed his from a wooden board. Uh, to a metal uh, sometime later. So I have both copies uh, of the wooden one and then, then later the metal one. So um, to the extent that um, they've made some errors or found some errors, they've changed the tombstone. So mm-hmm. I was able to go back and get some of those. But one quick funny story to tell you is that the wife and I was in um, El Paso and 
uh, to get John Wesley Harden. Mm -hmm. And we went out, it was later in the evening, so it had a little bit of darkness to it. And I took the photograph, which was nothing more than just the brass plate that said John Wesley Harden. And, um, and in the morning I got up and I told the wife just before we were ready to leave, I said, you know, I'm going to go out there again and get a better picture because it was a bright sunny morning. And so we went out there and the brass plate was gone and uh we got a little bit concerned so we started on our route home and i called the cemetery uh there's a, a historical group there and yeah, i called Concordia. the historical group and i i said mm -hmm. somebody stole that brass plate and you might contact uh the police and let them check with uh, some of these uh, dealers and make sure that they, they're not trying to sell it for the brass content. And come to find out, they called me, uh, I was about four hours later, they called me back and said that the city is uh, redoing the, um, the whole John Wesley Harden um, gravesite and they're putting a cage and everything around it and and putting the plate back and will and and securing it so nobody can get at the the plate so it come to find out the city had went out there that evening after i was there and and tore up the thing tore the plate off and and was in the process of redoing it that's a great story because I'll actually be there in a few months at the Concordia Cemetery. It's there in El Paso, mm -hmm. and it's right along Interstate 10. And so, and it looks like it's a really easy on, easy off to get out and visit, and they have a parking lot. Um, so it looks like the volunteers at the Concordia Cemetery have been doing a good job. They've done an excellent job, and uh, it, it's pretty fancy um, cage they've got around protecting John Wesley Harden's. Uh, tombstone now well if you want to read we're, we're wrapping things up we're already at 50 minutes it goes by fast yes sir so we're going to wrap things up and again i want to let everybody know about the wild west history association you can join at wildwesthistory.org and again quarterly you get a, a book basically a book delivered to your door to your home that is a hundred plus pages of just true research history, interviews, all sorts of really cool stuff that you wouldn't expect is all inside the, uh, the journal. And that's because uh, you'll get that if you become a member of the Wild West History Association. And you can do so again at wildwesthistory.org. I also want to thank my friend Mark Boardman over at the Tombstone Epitaph. Uh, become a, a subscriber. Uh, it's real. It's really, it's a great value. And I looked, I just got the new February or March edition and he hasn't raised, raised the prices. So like, it's still a value, $25 for one year, uh, two years for 45 or three years for 60. You might as well just do the 60, save 15 bucks and then you'll be, oh my God, it'd be great. And that's, yeah. that's and Mike, let me yes, just sir. add, and when you're um, promoting WWHA, which I, I love that organization, but let me just add yes. that we have a subgroup within WWHA for those individuals. Oh. This is a non, they're a nonprofit organization. So there, there are quite a few people that want to do a little more than to pay the $75 membership. And so we put together a group called the gunfighters and, um, for $250, um, you can uh, join the gunfighters uh, subgroup, um, and what that does is it helps 
the organization. It gives them some additional revenue to use to improve the quality of the journal and to do some other things as far as planning goes. And it includes, that gunfighter group includes the um, the membership as well, the $75 membership. So it's only that additional amount that you would be paying. And in order to try and reward, if you will, that extra uh, contribution to the organization, uh, and I'm co-chairman of the gunfighter group with Kurt House as my other co-chairman, I have designed a pin, a, a real nice pewter pin that says gunfighter on it. So you will get a certificate, uh, of the, to, of the gunfighter to join the gunfighters. You get your certificate and you get a pin as well. And then we, on Saturday, the last day of the roundup, um, we have a luncheon and it's just for the gunfighters and their spouses. And so it's an opportunity to have some fellowship just with that group of gunfighters. So I wanted to add that as well. There's a little bit more that you can offer uh, as well as just joining the organization. And that journal is every bit the quality of any book that you would buy by a fairly quality author. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's almost like uh, getting a book every right. three months. I was hoping Doc was going to say, like, if you join that, I come to your house and I'll wax your truck. <laughs> That's kind of what I was hoping to hear because my truck needs to be waxed. So oh, I'm well, just kidding. Good luck. Just, I, see, <laughs> see, it didn't work out. I was hoping we almost had a deal. We almost had a deal. But again, if you want to get Doc's book, and I urge you to really, it, it's a really cool book, and it's one that you're going to want to have in your collection, and it'll help you especially in your own personal research. And, and you can even take the book and say, you know, what? I'm going to retrace Doc's steps, and I want to go see these for myself. It really has got enough information to be able to guide you and help you in, in your research of where you want to go and what you want to see. And you can do so. You can reach Doc at Doc Shores, D-O-C-S-H-O-R-E-S, Doc Shores at Outlook.com. As always, I want to thank all of you for listening. Please, if you're listening on iTunes, leave a rating and a review. It helps me out with distribution. If you like it, give me a five-star. If you hate it, give me a five-star anyway. I don't care. No, that's not true. I want you to be honest and, and, uh, and give an honest rating and review. If you need to get a hold of me for any reason, or you have suggestions, because I've been getting suggestions from folks, would you interview this people, or will you do an interview with this researcher? If you want to get a hold of me for a research, or for an interview, or a podcast, and you're like, you'd like to talk, you know, send me a note, do, you know, interview this person, uh, you can send an email to me on my, uh, my blue-collar email address. You okay, bud? Yes. Okay. Sorry. I want to make sure. Okay. Uh, you can send me an email to my blue collar email at hvacreferguy at gmail.com. That's H, the letters H V A C R E F E R guy, G U I, at gmail.com. And I do air conditioning and refrigeration for a living, so that's why you're seeing that. But that's my blue collar email at hvacreferguy at gmail.com. So if you have somebody you're like, God, I really want this, why is any. You know, interviewing this person. Well, send me an email and say, "Hey, can you reach out and do an interview with this writer or historian? He's my favorite, or she's a she's a great writer, and I, I'd like to learn more about her." And and we'll get her, we'll get him set up, and we'll get him on a podcast. 
I also want to thank my charity of choice, which is St. Mary's Food Bank. Uh, $1 feeds seven meals, $5 she feeds um, a whole bunch of people. I can't even think about one. Yeah, 35 people for $5. It's basically seven meals or seven people for a dollar donated. So if you have a food bank near you, gosh, reach out and, and drop a little money in the hat or write them a check for whatever you can afford because it just feels good to help some folks out who need food. Um, and then of course I land every podcast for, and if you didn't know this, just reach out to some folks that need a little help. Your neighbor could be struggling to get the trash cans in, bring the trash cans in, or maybe she, maybe he or she needs some groceries or they're sick at home. Maybe they got COVID and they can't get to the store. Well, go get them some, some groceries and put it in a box out at the, out at the porch and they can grab it and, you know, and, and get some food and, and take care of themselves. So there's always something you can do for some folks. As always, I appreciate you bunch. Uh, travel safe, and we'll see you next time uh, here at Cochise County's podcast.